This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All our Torah Anytime viewers, um, one, oh, everyone's invited to join us, thank you, at 1601 Quentin Road at 8 p.m. in Brooklyn, New York, 11229, I think, um, for a woman only every Thursday. Okay, uh, there's also an announcement that next... Next, not this Sunday, so the following Sunday, which I believe is June 28th, uh, there's going to be a, a very interesting class. So uh, me and Rabbi Yaron Ruvain, I don't know who is familiar with, uh, with Rabbi Yaron, close friend of mine, he's coming into uh, to town, and we're going to be doing a co-shear together on a very mature topic, um, and it's going, to be, it's going to be on modesty and wasting seed. It's going to be for men and women, and it's going to be like, we're each going to give like a so- short speech, and then we're going to have an open forum for Q&A. And if anybody wants to submit questions anonymously, they could always email it uh, to either myself at rabbizitron at torahanytime.com or info at beezlathashem.org. Check Rabbi Yaron says, or just email me. Um, we're going to share, anyways, the, the information. So uh, everyone's invited to join us. No, it's going to be, it's a good question, where it's going to be. It's going to be in 1212 East 15. Okay, so let us begin. So this is the final class, there's a lot of time, on the topic of the 13 principles of faith. Usually the way that we've been doing it is that we give a recap. Whenever we start a new of the 13 principles of faith, we give a recap of all the previous 13 principles of faith, and then we continue. Today we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to jump right into the, the, the topic, which is resurrection of the dead. And we will go and we will give the recap at the end. So we'll give a full recap. You could get a, a you know, very nice understanding of the, of the whole thing. Okay, so the 13 principles of faith, faith is I believe with perfect faith. That there will be a resurrection of the dead. When God, when God, when the will of the Creator, when the will of God comes, that's when they're going to be the, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, and may His name be blessed and exalted and remember forever and ever. Okay, so in, the gist of this is that in the time of Mashiach, there is going to be a period known as the resurrection of the dead, when the dead are going to be resurrected. There are many verses in the Torah that support this. You look at, for example, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It says, It says that many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken. So you have many people just sleep anywhere. That's why it says, why does it say resurrection of the dead? Why can't you just say resurrection? So some people need to be resurrected even when they're alive. Even when they're alive, they're dead. And in fact, the, um, in the time of the, of the Holocaust, they were known as the as middlemen. They were known as like the dead people, the dead people walking. What was that? Because they were dead inside. There's there's an ability of somebody to be alive and dead at the same time. There's, you know, unfortunately due to certain, you know, either psychological defects or chemical defects or a combination of both or, you know, a numerous amount of other different issues, a person can be dead while they're alive. But here when we're referring to resurrection of the dead, we're referring to the people that are physically dead. No more heartbeat, you know, in the ground, and they're going to come back, uh, you know, alive. Rabbi Shem Pinkus goes and explains as follows. said that every Jew is born with a connection, a, a, a piece of God. Everyone's connected with, with, with God. And by that means that they, that, that soul, that piece of you lasts forever. Now, as opposed to, let's say, Christianity. Christianity, when, when the way that, that the majority of Christianity believes is that when a soul comes into this world, that soul is, Defected. That fo- that soul is is bad, and it's it came with sin. And the only way that it's gonna go and gonna fix itself is only if it believes in whatever all the nonsense that they go and and they spill. But the the 
the Jewish understanding of it, the, cor- the correct understanding of it, is is that the Jewish soul is not only it comes in that it's going to last forever, but also comes in holy. It's a holy piece that's going to last forever. And that is why we're going to see how this all plugs in, that it, it, eventually what's going to happen is there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Now, there were, there were heretics that went and asked Rabbi Gamil. Chazal tells us this interesting back and forth. They said, they go and they ask him, what is the source of the Torah? What is the source of the Torah that says that there's a resurrection of the dead? Show me proof. That's what they wanted to hear. They wanted to see some proof. So Rabbi Gamil goes back and forth with them. He says, okay, here's a proof. They weren't so happy with that. They said, oh, maybe this means something else. Maybe this means something else. Until he gave them a proof and they said, fine, you know what? Now we have to accept it. So the way that it went, and we'll go very briefly, we're not going to go through all of them, he, he gives him a, a quotes from Yeshayahu, chapter 26, verse 19. It says that, may your dead live, and may your corpses shall rise. So the heretic said, okay, well maybe this is referring to the resurrection by Yechezkel Navi. Maybe it's not referring to the future resurrection. Maybe it's talking about, you know, previous resurrection. So then, he, then Rabbi Gamil went and he quoted him from Sheil Shirim, chapter 7, verse 10. It says that it will cause the lips of the sleeping to move. So... The heretics went and they said, okay, but this just has a lips. So who says the whole body is going to be resurrected? Maybe the lips are just going to move. So then he quoted them final uh, verse in Devarim chapter 11 verse 21. That the God swore to give the, to the forefathers to them. It doesn't say to you, rather it says to them, meaning that the Gemara Sanhedrin chapter 90 go, uh, page 90 goes and explains that what does it mean to them? That in the future they're going to come back to life and God will give it to them. So, what we see over here is something very interesting. Now, if you didn't understand everything that I just said, it's fine. All you have to know, there was a back and forth with the, with the heretics, and the heretics said, oh, no, 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 and finally gave them such a strong proof, and he said, fine, you know what, you're right. So it says the Shimon, because look at the difference between the heretics in the olden days and the heretics today. And the heretics in the olden days, the people that kofrin, the people that didn't believe the Torah, didn't believe in Judaism, believed in God, if they went and, they, and you are able to prove them with, with simple logic, they'll be like, well, you know, you're right. Yeah, I got to give it to you, you're right. Today's day and age, maybe it's the people that I meet, I don't know. But no matter how much logic, there's certain people, no matter how much logic you speak to them, no matter how much you explain to them, how simple and obvious it is that there is a God, that there is a Torah is legit. Like, you don't have to go through, through so much. I mean, I know we went through 32 classes proving it, but you could technically do it within like five minutes. That's how much you really need to prove that there's a God and the Torah is, the Torah is legit. But you have people that they go through all this logic and be like, no, because that makes absolutely no sense. But yet they go through this entire spiel that makes absolutely no sense. How could it be that back in the olden days, the heretics, at least they were real, they were true heretics. You know, like they, you know, they believed in something, but then when they were convinced otherwise, they were like, okay, fine, you know what, you're right. But nowadays, no matter how much you go and you try to convince somebody, even though it's the most simple, straightforward logic, they still can't get it. So, the... Rav Shushibikis goes on and says... What happens if someone's in a heretic regarding this, this concept of resurrection of the dead? Let's say he believes in the Tartuah. Believe or she believes in the Tartuah, believes in everything except uh, resurrection of the dead. Come on, really? There's going to be dead people, there's going to be a zombie apocalypse. Like, what, what really, like, people are going to come out of the grave? Ah, doesn't make any sense. That is not, that doesn't, doesn't happen. What is the punishment for that person? So, and by the way, this is a belief. This is not something that you have to physically do. You don't have to crawl into a grave. Every night, and then just like, coming out, resurrection, right? You go and you act it out. And by the way, you should know, there was a very wealthy person who went, and because he, he, he had a tremendous amount of money. I have a name in my mind, but I'm not sure if it is. I'm not going to say the name. But it's, all you have to know, it's a very, very wealthy person, that he used to have a coffin. And he used to put himself into the coffin to remember that all the money that he has is all temporary. Afterwards, he's all going back into the same wooden box that everybody else is getting. There's no mahogany coffin in Judaism. 
right? There's no cushions. You don't get makeup when you go when you die. You, you know, like the the what you came in is the same way that you leave with nothing. So he did it to, to you know to remember. But like the concept of like re, of understanding the resurrection of the dead, it's a pure belief. So if somebody just does not believe in it, what is his punishment? You think, okay, so we shouldn't be that great. Okay, so he doesn't believe in this. But let's say he does every single other mitzvah, refrains from every single other uh, negative commandment as well. What is it going to be for this guy or woman? So number one is that this person has no share in the world to come. No share in the world to come. If a person just does not believe in the resurrection of the dead, no share in the world to come. Furthermore, this person is not going to get resurrected in the dead. Like, oh, you don't think there's resurrection in the dead? Yeah, you're right. For you, there isn't. A goodie room. I don't know, whatever. Okay, so I'm paraphrasing. But what happens is, is that there, there, is, there are certain things when you deal with heretics, when you deal with, pe- with people that they go and conflict with the Torah, and they argue on the Torah, and they're not using their logic, it's for simple, I understand, let's say somebody is in a relationship, and they don't want to be shomer nigiyah, they want to be able to do their sins that they want to do, and they want to go, and let's say somebody doesn't want to be modest, because whatever it is, that they, that's what they want to do. Okay, so they're gaining something from it. Like, what do you gain from an understanding? No, I don't believe in this. You gain nothing. And the, and the punishment is so severe. It makes you think, like, why? how can you be so idiotic? How can you be so not smart? So I don't know what the nice word for it to say. That to, to, to go and waste a sin that is, all it is, is just a belief. So this will take us on to a, to a little bit of an interesting path. Rabbi Moshe Goldstein goes and says like this. says, why is it that it is so imperative to believe in resurrection of the dead? You ever think about it? Like, what's the big deal? Okay, so it's not resurrected. Like, why does that make such a big difference? In fact, there are so many things that will happen when Mashiach comes. For example, there's going to be a third temple. Does it say anywhere if you don't believe that there's going to be a third temple, you have no share in the world to come? You're not going to be allowed to go enter into the third temple? They're not going to give you the code, you know, to get in? Like, why is it that resurrection of the dead is singled out and said this, oh, if you don't believe in this, then you have no share in the world to come. You're not going to be resurrected. Why is it so important? Good question, right? If anybody you know goes and says the thirteen principles of faith, you know after shachit, you say this every single day, and you ever wonder like why was this singled out? What is so important about resurrection of the dead? So there's a very very important concept when you think about the the idea that a body or a soul never dies, never really ends. And in order to understand this, is you know they have unfortunately there is you know we hear very often, young people passing away. And in fact, I had a, um, call him even a close friend, I, you know, the 27 or 28-year-old guy from my, from, from my yeshiva passed away this past week. Had some sort of surgery, had a complication, I don't know the details of it, and just passed away. And, like, I was so shocked because, like, I saw him, like, the week before. And you know when you see somebody a week before, it's not somebody who's walking with a cane and he's 150 years old, right? And, you know, his beard is sweeping the floor and you're like, okay, fine. He lived a long life. 27, 28-year-old guy. Completely no drugs, nothing like that. Completely everything was, and all of a sudden just, you know, out of the blue, at least out of the blue for me. This is, was a person that I saw when I used to give classes. He used to always come and he used to come always at the end of the class. And he would always speak an interesting personality. But, uh, you know, it comes to shock, like... Crazy, 27, 20 years old, and just like that. And how often does it happen? All you got to do is open up the, the Jewish news. You see it again and again, week after week, where the rabbi, unfortunately, had lost that sea. We see it again and again that it happens. So the question is, is that how come people are not scared about their own? Does anybody be like, oh, wait, you know, that could have, God forbid, happened to me? And then nobody, do you ever think about that? 
Like you're scared about like the taxes, right? You're scared, of, you're scared about certain things that you don't want to do this because maybe something's going to happen. Why aren't people scared about death the way that they're scared about other things? If we see that it happens to everybody, we see that it unfortunately happens with, for, to very young people, very old people, and anybody in between, healthy people, sick people, depre- anybody, it happens to everybody, then how come people are not more scared about it? I mean, granted, when they think about it, they're scared about it, but why don't they, don't they do something with it? So the answer is our emotional goal brings down is that a person really connects with his true self. What is your true self? Your inside of yourself, your soul. That's what makes a difference. If anybody ever witnessed somebody that passed away um, and actually physically saw like a person from one second being alive to another second being dead, you could see that there is something different. That, that person is not that person anymore. Jewish, not Jewish, doesn't matter. You see there's something different with that body. That's not a body. That's not the person anymore. I mean, yeah, it's the body, but there's something that's missing that's obviously not there. There's a true self. There's something known as the ani. There's something known as the, as, as the me, the inner side. That is your soul. Your soul, according to the Torah, according to the correct understanding of human beings, is that the soul never ever dies. The soul always remains. And when the soul passes away, when the body passes away, we hear the soul moves on to the next stage. The soul does not die. So explains our emotional goals. He says, you want to know why people are not scared about dying in the same sense that they're scared about other things? It's because they know that dying doesn't, it's not, it's not real. Death is not true. There's no such thing as death. There's no such thing as, yes, you're leaving this body to that extent, but you're not gone forever. You have, you live on in a different, in a different aspect. So, this is how he goes into this. He says, you know why it's so important to have the understanding of Tchiyat HaMetim? Because resurrection of the dead, this solidifies this concept that you will never ever die. That after 120, even after you die and after who knows how many years, you're going to come back. How can you come back? Because you never left, per se. There's a small part of the soul that's always also part of the grave. You're, you're, and even if you're not part of the grave, you're still in the next world. You never left. You're just returning to the place that you were before. So the concept that is so important is to understand why is it so important to know that you never die? Why is it so important to know? And, and don't be one of those people. I, I'm not anybody over here. Right? Maybe on the virtual, I'll be like, I'm never going to die. right? And you decide you're going to put on a cape and you're going to experiment with certain things. right? Don't do this. right? Don't do that. right? People can die and do die. In fact, everybody dies um, you know, in this world, but it's a temporary death. So what is the, what, what is the, the important understanding of this? That if you live forever, that means that your actions, every single thing that you do also lives forever. The good that you do is going to last forever. The bad that you do is also going to last forever. Which shows you the importance of the implication of every single piece of action that you do today. Right here, right now. Not, in a, not when the resurrection of the dead. But something very important when you're thinking about the 13 principles of faith. It's not a futuristic concept that, yeah, eventually. No, no, no. It's going to make a difference in my life right here, right now. And we spoke about this in Mashiach, and we're going to recap it at the end, and how it connects with this as well. But the concept is, it's going to make a difference in my life today. And how is it going to make a difference in my life today? Because my actions depend on anything. If somebody is going, you know, I speak to people, let's say, that are in the dating world, and... Let's say they're not sure in a certain in a certain sense if they're going to go out with this guy or going to continue going out with the girl, and they're conflicting back and forth. And all of a sudden they decide, you know what? I'm going to break it off. It's not for me. I know it's not for me, but they still have to go on that last date and whatever. You know, it's like everything was set up already. I hear the same thing every single time. It, there's such a weight over their shoulder. They'll be like, yeah, whatever. Take me wherever you want. I don't care. You know, you go over here, you go over there. Nothing matters. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, we'll go over here. Like, you don't look into anything. Oh, this guy didn't tip. Oh, I don't care. It's not matter. I'm not marrying him. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, all of a sudden, things don't matter. So when people live their life thinking that things don't matter, people think their lives that, oh, it's going to end anyways, and what's going to be? Then you, you live a life a different way. If you know that this guy, you're never going to end up marrying. So you do whatever you may or may not want to do in front of other people. Oh, you couldn't care less. 
right? Uh, some people maybe uh, okay, fine, whatever. You're not going to be so. You're going to not going to be as polite maybe as you would. You know, people tend to. Uh, Maybe this is true. Maybe not pretend when they're on dates, right? To like, you know, like all of a sudden they're so proper, right? And, you know, and then they come home and they're all of a sudden they're a gorilla. They, you know, whatever it is. Right? Um, but uh, you know, there's a certain pretending stage that's going on. But if you, if you know, it's never going to happen. Like whatever, you you couldn't care less. If you couldn't care less, then your actions show that you couldn't care less. So if you go through life and you think that, eh. I'm going to die anyways. What's the difference? If you don't care less, then your actions are going to show it. So the implications that are here are very, very severe. And here we see, we're beginning to see the importance of resurrection of the dead, that it has to be for right here, right now. Now, what is the purpose of the resurrection of the dead? There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 91, that goes, and there's a conversation between Antoninus and Rabbi Huda Anasi that they were asking, he said, you know, the body and the soul, Antoninus goes to Rabbi, and he says that the Rabbi Huda Nasi, which is also known as Rabbi, he says that, you know, the body and the soul, they could have a claim against God. What could they claim against God? The body could go up to God and say, listen, why should I get punished? The second that the soul left me, I'm sitting in the ground, I cannot move. You're going to punish me? Punish the soul. And then the soul's going to be like, you're going to punish me? The second I left, I'm soaring on wings. Ah, you know, like, did I do any sins the second I left? So each one has a claim. You know how each one plays for each other? It's like someone that says, no, I need to go. I can't go learning because what? I have to spend time with my family. And then when you need to spend time with family, man, no, I'm sorry, I got to go learn. You know, like, well, it depends. You play with things for, you know, against each other. You want to go and you, you want to save money. Be like, no, I can't. I have to, you know, I have to give charity. I, I can't give charity. I have to save money. And all of a sudden, someone calls you up and says, oh, yeah, we're collecting for this. No, I'm giving it to another charity. I'm sorry. I have already my money all tied up already. You know, like, and you, there's ways that you work together. And the work, there's ways that you play things for each other. So the body and the soul could play, th- play against each other. They could say, ah, oh, nobody can get punished. So what did Rabbi Huda Nasi, what, what did Rabbi say? Rabbi said like this. Rabbi said that imagine that there was a king who had a beautiful orchard. He had a, a bunch of fruits and vegetables. Everything was very, very nice, highest quality. And he wanted to put watchmen. But he wanted to put watchmen that wouldn't be able to utilize and eat his fruits. So what did he do? He found the cripple and he found the blind person. He says, now you get a cripple. Get someone who can't walk. You get a blind person. Like, they're not going to be able to grab the fruit. So this, they're going to be able to watch. My question is, how could a blind person want? You know, like, but maybe it's protecting against animals. Okay, whatever. Different story, a different thing. Right? The questions on the Gemara, they could answer it different ways. But in any case, so you put the cripple on the blind person. So the cripple is looking at it, and he calls a blind person over and says, listen, you don't understand how juicy these fruits are. So the blind person says, I can't reach it. He says, this is what we're going to do. The cripple tells the blind person, you put me on your shoulders. And then, oh God, you'll be my legs, and I'll be your eyes and arms, and I'll, and I'll pick it, and we'll share it. So... The cripple goes on the guy's shoulder, and they're going, and they're eating, and they're enjoying. Within a short period of time, you know, everything is devastated. Everything is, you know, eaten. The, the king walks by, sees his entire orchard. It's all messed up. So he goes over, he sees the, you know, the blind on this side, the, you know, the cripple on this side. He says, what happened over here? What did you do? He says, he says they were so like us? Like, how can we do anything? He says, this one's crippled. This one's blind. We're not able to do anything. How are we able to, to, to go and grab any of the fruits? So the king was not a, you know, silly king. He went and he put one on top of another, and he judged them together. Says Rabbi Huda Nasi to, to, you know, to Antoninus. He goes and says the same thing is going to happen for the, for the body and the soul. The body's going to say, ah, oh, it's a soul's fault. The soul's going to say, ah, oh, it's a body's fault. He says, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a time, come a time of resurrection of the dead. Where the dead, the body and the soul are going to be reunited together. And then when they reunite together, there's going to something be going to be called the day of the final judgment. There's going to be a final judgment that they're going to get judged on everything. Not only everything, but all the previous reincarnations as well. This is the time of Mashiach. It's going to be known as, as the Yom Adin Agadol. It's going to be a, a great judgment. And that is what they're going to judge because no one can now complain against the other. Now you're together. Now you're going to get judged together just like the cripple and the blind. So the Baal Shantav actually also brings down that every single night 
we give, we have a mini judgment. Every single night we have a mini, we go up to heaven, and when you, know, when you sleep, there's a little, little part of you that, that goes up to heaven. And uh, there's a recounting, right? You're sort of like, you're depositing your actions for that day. Depositing, withdrawing, depending on your person, right? So you're, you're going and you're, you're going up to heaven every single night, and there's a mini judgment. That's what the Baal Shem Tov says, it's very important to say, when you, go, when you go to sleep, it's very important to say, Shema Yisrael. It's very important to go, and if you read the whole Kiyachma, there's also, you know, you, you go through, depending on, on how they go, there's actually a, a Kabbalistic one that you actually do, you do vidu, you do chuba every single night, um, which is the correct way that you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to do it. But in any case, that's, the Baal Shabbat says every single night there's a mini judgment. That's why it's good to say Kiyachma. At, once a year, there's Rosh Hashanah where you get judged for that year. And then you have, but after the, we get reincarnated, at the end of the days, then there's going to be a, a judgment on everything that happened. All your previous reincarnations, everything that you ever, you know, ever a part of, that's what you have in it. Can, can we hold the questions to, to, uh, till the end? We have, is it related to this? Yeah. That it can be held? So, how could you be punished for things for your past life? First of all, um, so, you know what? We might be, I might answer your question a little bit later. If I don't answer your question at the end, I do want to speak about what, which body gets reincarnated, different things like that, and I think that might answer your question, so we'll get to, uh, we'll get to that. If I don't, then let's recircle this at the end, and we'll, we'll, we'll address that. Okay, so, now the question is, is that, what was the whole purpose of the physical world? Why did God create the world? Why, why, why did God create the physical world? Why not just jump straight to the physical? Why do we need this world? So, there's a very big difference between spiritual and physical. Spiritual, you cannot put opposites together. When, when in spirituality, when we say that something that resembles each other, something is close to each other, something that's, that's in close proximity to each other, what it means is that it resembles each other. There's no space in spiritual. There's space and manner in physical, but there's no space in spiritual. So what is, the perp- what is the difference between, I'm sorry, the difference between physical and spiritual? Physical, you have a very, very interesting opportunity. In a physical world, you could take two opposites and push them together. Even if you take a, you, you ever played with magnets? Yeah. And you, you try to go with a positive negative, you know, like it goes like that. But technically, if you're strong enough, you could connect it. Or you get weak enough magnets, depending on, you know, you know, it's like the people in the gym. Either you get really, really big muscles, or you just get really, really small shirts. Whatever it was, it looks different, right? So you go and you take, if you're really strong, or you take really weak magnets, you're able to push them together. You're able to put, take two opposites and put it together. That only works in the physical world. That doesn't hurt work in the spiritual world. Spiritual world, what's opposite stays opposite, and they will never intertwine, they will never come together. That is why... The, the only way the man could have an opportunity to do good is only in the physical world. Because what happens, God takes man and puts a spiritual being, something that's spiritual, in a physical thing. And now all of a sudden, God could have a good inclination and God could have an evil inclination. Angels, for example, they don't, have, they don't get reward for anything because there's no good and evil inclination because you can't put that together. In the spiritual world, they don't go together. But in the physical world, oh, in the physical world, you could attract two opposites together. And oh, now you have two opposites now let's see what you're going to do. Are you going to go and you're going to follow the evil inclination or are you going to go and you're going to follow the good inclination? So it's all in your, in, in, in your, the ball is in your court. So this is why also then God put together the mitzvot. So now you have commandments. Now you have the ability to go and fight the evil inclination and what you need to do. So everything was created that we'll be able to take something that is two extreme opposites and put them together. Now, let's say you go and you're successful in this world, right? You do all the, I'm not talking about in the physical world, but in the spiritual world, you're su- successful in the physical world, meaning that you, 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 re- you rose to a very high spiritual um, you know, standard. So, 
Where do you get your reward? So after you leave this world, before Mashiach comes, you go to some place called Gan Eden. Anybody here ever heard about this place? Yeah. Uh, oh, you heard about it. Okay, good. So um, it's a, a place uh, called Gan Eden. There it's where, it's, it's the Holden area where you get your reward. Until when? Until the Messianic era, the Mashiach comes. And then you have Olam Haba, the world to come. And that's when all the, so- the souls will descend to the body. They will come together, the, the two opposites together, and then they will be rewarded together. The souls and the body will be awarded together, and we'll get, again, how that will happen, we'll see if we'll, we'll be able to, we'll be able to, uh, you know, to speak about that. So now, so far so clear? So far so beautiful? So far so amazing? Should we go on? Okay, I think it's good. Right? So it's unbelievable. When you start thinking about why, it, there's so much, now, people go and they read, oh yeah, resurrection is dead. And everybody even wonder? It'll be like heaven, like on earth, basically. Um, that's a nice interpretation of it. Yeah, if you want to. If that's how you want to. Uh, it'll be good times. It'll be good times. Right? You don't want to miss it. You want to be part of it. So, okay. Now, let's speak a little bit about resurrection. So, there's some of the things that we're going to be speaking about right now. We spoke about two years ago when we spoke about resurrection in the Mashiach series. But we're going to, we're going to touch about it just to get some clarity or view it just to get some clarity on the understanding of the resurrection of the dead. So, first of all, there's going to be two, two resurrections, two different resurrections. The first is going to be in the beginning of the Messianic era. When Mashiach comes in the beginning, there's going to be a resurrection. Who is going to get resurrected in that time? Not everybody. The special people, people who have the VIP passes. How do you get a VIP pass? You don't have to donate anything. You don't have to pay a certain fee. Yeah, it's not the 180 versus the $18 seats. In order to get the first, the first in the resurrection of the dead, you either have to learn Torah, or you make it possible for other people to learn Torah, a husband or other people, right? Make it learn Torah. Or you have a longing to see Yerushalayim be rebuilt. You have the desire that you want to see Jerusalem be rebuilt. Uh, Rabbi Yitzhak also goes and adds that somebody who died sanctifying God's name is also resurrected in the earlier uh, resurrected, resurrection. And that's where you have the special people. Then you have, at the end of the, of the, of the Messianic age, that's when you have everybody's going to be resurrected. What is the order that people are going to be resurrected? So first is going to be the dead of the land of Israel. That's why people try to go and they try to get buried in the land of Israel. Question is, do you have to live there? Whatever. It's a whole different, you know, topic in itself on, on what it means that you get buried in the land of Israel. Do you, can you just be flown to Israel or do you have to actually live in Israel? But the first is the dead in the land of Israel. Then you're going to have the, the people that died in the other lands. How are they going to get? They're going to go through these underground tunnels, right? There's going to be rolling through the ground. Um, then after that, there's going to be the avot. The Avotimah, the patriarchs, are going to be there. Why are they coming at the end of this seemingly, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, um, step one, step two, step three in the sequence? Is because the fathers should, of the Jewish people should awaken with the joy of seeing the entire nation, you know, with them. So they're going to be, they're going to be at, uh, you know, at the end of that. The more righteous individuals will be, will be resurrected before the general population. Who is going to be resurrected first? The people that are primarily preoccupied with learning Torah, the Torah study and spreading the Torah, they're going to take precedence over those who their, their, their forte was mitzvah absorbance. Both great and excellent things that you do. But you want to know why it says, Tamu Torah connected to the learning Torah is greater than everything else, is that they're going to get resurrected first, well, out of a million, million other reasons, but they're going to get resurrected first over the people that primarily um, focus on the mitzvah absorbance. So you should know the people that learn Torah, it's not like they learn Torah and they didn't do anything else. You know, people that they learned Torah, that they also did the mitzvot, but they focused a lot on learning Torah. As opposed to people that did the mitzvot, but they didn't maybe learn as much. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how does it work when, he, when a person gets uh, resurrected? So when a person goes and gets, let's say a person died blind, deaf, mute, or anything in between. So the way that it goes is, is that the person first gets resurrected with the same problems that they had when they died. And then when they resurrected with their deformities, they will be healed once they're alive. 
crazy. Imagine viewing that. Imagine viewing that. All of a sudden, they, they get resurrected. They come out, and they're missing body, but whatever it is, and all of a sudden, like they have, it's like, a, 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 don't miss it, right? Let's try all be there. So, what about, what about uh, um, a baby that never made it into the world, meaning that the mother got pregnant and the, the mother miscarried? Does that baby get resurrected? So the question that was asked about Moshe Feinstein. So Moshe Feinstein gave two different sources. One in, in Sanhedrin chapter 110b. It said that, it goes and says, how old does a child have to be in order to have a share in the world to come? So the Gemara answers that the moment that it was conceived, it has a share in the world to come. Even if the mother is miscarried, already that, that, that fetus, that soul, has a share in the world to come. So he says from here, we see that even a baby that does not make it into this world, that baby would also get uh, resurrected as well. But Moshe goes and then quotes another thing, also quotes in Deman Ketubot, chapter 111, uh, page 111a, that says, it quotes a pasuk from Isaiah, that says, your dead will come back to life and may my corpse arise as well. Why is it twice? Why does it say my dead come back and the corpse arises? Like a double, a double, a double, uh, verbiage? I don't know what Lashon Yeah, whatever. Double, double Lashon. If you don't understand, look it up. So, um, why? Because the first, the, first, the first part of the Pasuk is referring to that people that pass away. The second part of the, of the Pasuk, that the corpses will rise, is referring to the fetuses that never actually came into the world. They never came to the world, but they too will also arise um, in, in Triyat Metim. So, the Zohar goes... And brings an interesting point. What are going to be with the people? Let's say there's going to be resurrection of the dead, right? Everyone's popping out of the graves and it's amazing. They're dancing with their relatives. What about the people that are alive right then and there? Yeah. What's going to be with them? Good question, right? So the Zohar goes and says that they, people that are alive at the time of the resurrection will momentarily die. They will momentarily die and then instantaneously be resurrected as well. Why? Because there's a certain part that death cleanses you from, from, your, from your sins. There's a certain, you look in the, in the, um, the Rambam, it speaks about there's certain sins that only death cleanses it. So it's a part of a cleansing process for your soul, so you'll momentarily die and then you come back to life as well. This will come back as a more, a perfected, uh, perfected soul. Now, this is the interesting part, which, which is what you uh, were asking earlier. What happens if a soul is reincarnated in many different bodies? Let's say somebody came five times into this world. Which one comes back? Is it this, or it could be more, it could be less. And so, which one is the one that, that comes back? Last one. Last one, interesting point. Interesting. Last one is the best one, not necessarily. Combined. Oh, the best one. That's a, oh, you said the best one. Oh, yeah. Mm. Best one, you're onto something. Last one, stick, stickle onto something. Um, but let's see. So now, the, we first have to understand why souls are reincarnated. So, souls can be reincarnated either if you, if this, so messed up in a previous life, then they have to come back and fix whatever it is that they've messed up. So let's say a soul uh, left the previous you know, life very with a big, big anger problem, big stingy problem, or any other problem in between, right? They had a hard time with certain sins, a certain you know, mitzvah, whatever it is. So they come back into this world with the same temptations. If you want to know what your purpose in this, in this world is, is that if you, really, if, you, if you understand what is the most difficult for you, if the sin that's most difficult for you, that's what you came to fix. Also things that's most positive for you, but that's in a different uh, class on resurrection, uh, on, re- on reincarnation. So what's most difficult for you, that's what you have to fix. Why? Because you left, what you left in the previous life, you have to now come fix over here. But there's another reason why you have to come back into this world, is that every soul has to complete 613 commandments. Now, every soul cannot complete 613 commandments. So sometimes the soul has to come back to complete commandments that it didn't complete in a previous, uh, you know, in a previous life. So now, uh, and this, you, you even go in, in you know, Kabbalistic, uh, Kabbalistically, you have, you have, you know, Kabbalists that go and they do tikkunim, that maybe, where they do uh, rectifications, uh, like fasting, certain things, not for sins they did in this life, but maybe for a sin they did in a previous life. They're, they're trying to even fix things that they did in a previous life as well. So, the, 
So now, which, which body comes back? So, according to one opinion, every, every body that assisted the fulfillment of the mission of the soul can, you know, can, come, you know, can come back. So, this is why you can have situations where you have multiple bodies come back, and you have situations where only a certain body will come back. Something that I always wondered. I don't have an answer for this. That's what I was going to ask. Like, imagine, would you see yourself? Hey, me. High five. Yeah, you. <laughs> hey, me other way. Huh? There's always a piece of the soul, right? There's a there's a nitsutsa of, of a that there's a piece of it, right? So there's a piece, right? So there's uh, we all come from Adam Arishon. So so this is really in a kabbalistic uh, you know sense. We all come from a soul, part of a soul of Adam Arishon, and it, it broke up to many different souls, and the souls are able to to break apart, and yeah, and there's different souls that come in. Kabbalistic, fascinating, fascinating ideas. Anyways, so. So, where if let's say you have a certain body that was involved in a sin that does that there is no triatamitim. Let's say they did, this body did not believe in triatamitim. That body is not going to come back. Other bodies, you know, if they didn't do it, they will be able to. Another factor is is that what which body was the one that was the that gave the overall tikkun to this to the soul, which is the one that did the most. Somebody, uh, yeah, I think it was you mentioned it, right? The one that does the most, that's the one that comes back. But that Rizal goes and says like this. That Rizal says, let's say you had a bunch of different bodies sharing a bunch of different uh, uh, the same souls. Who is going to come back? So the Rizal says that as long as there's some progress in every single body, they're all going to all they're they're all going to come back. So now. The question is that what's going to be once you get back? Resurrection of the dead, right? Do you get married? Do you have children? What's going to be in that time? So, Rav Sadia going in the Rambam goes and says once a, once a person gets resurrected, they will eat and drink like they used to. And they will also marry and procreate like they used to as well. What about, we're going to do a little bit of, you know, quick, uh, you know, little answers and questions over here, and then we're going to go to the, to the final part. What about somebody who, who, let's say they meet their parents? Do they have to honor the parents? Why is this even a question? The question is, the Ben Ishchaika, you know, brings down, this down. What's even the question? The question is, is that the parents brought you down to this world with what? With the body. But you're not in the same body that you left with your parents. You got, you went down into the grave and now you come resurrected again. So do you have to go and honor your parents now? Do you have to do kibbutz abba aim in, in the, in your non-original body, right? The, you know, you're getting the renewed version. So Ben Ishchai writes that a person is obligated to honor the parents. Why? Because he retains the soul that they imparted on him. Because they retain the soul, this is why they have to go and they have to be part of the uh, of honoring the parents as well. There's another thing that we spoke about. I'm not going to get into it at length. If you do want to look into it, uh, I spoke about it um, more at length, I believe, in the class on Mashiach series and resurrection of the dead. That Rabbi Ari Kaplan brings down that it's a possibility, uh, you know, that how what's going to be resurrection of the dead? It could be through technology. Doesn't necessarily have to be something so out of. It could be through science. How is it through cloning? This is Rabbi, you know, Rabbi Ari Kaplan goes and he goes and he goes down into like sort of tremendous amount. It's, it's really beautiful how he plugs everything in. How closing, because, right, because everything at the end of the day is all, is all, is all, once you have the DNA sequence, you can be able to clone it. Even if a body is no longer found, you cannot, de- uh, you know, duplicate the DNA, but if you know the DNA sequence, then you're going to be able to clone that body just by knowing the sequence. How will they know the sequence? So we know in time when Mashiach comes, there's going to come with, with prophetic, uh, you know, prophecy. Nivuah. So with Nuvua, you're going to be able to go and be able to figure out what's the DNA sequence. So maybe it says like that, it's possible, not saying that it's for sure going to be like that, but it's a possible thing that it could have happened through science as well. We know like the Arizal was, was able to go and say which body was buried where. Like this righteous person is buried over here and they made, they made the, you know, the tombstones for the bodies that they couldn't, you know, couldn't found. So, Kavachomer should be Kavachomer. Certainly by the time when Mashiach comes, Mashiach is going to be able to say, okay, use this DNA sequence for this person, this DNA sequence for this person. And you know, and, and technically it could be through science. Interesting, interesting, uh, you know, concept. Okay. So now, what, the part that I, so far so good? So far so amazing? You have a question. Question. Yeah. Um, 
like, when, when you come back, do you marry the same person? But also... I actually skipped on that for a purpose. Like, well, okay. Let's like, turn back. Like, a girl or guy, meaning, like, your gender could, like, change, right? So that depends on the sins that a person did. What you're going to is a very, very deep question. Does it, the, what happens if you, if you came back as a different gender previously? The Rizal speaks about this in Shal Gigulim, that you, how come you have, let's say, some, not everybody, some barren people, they could be there because their soul, let's say they're female, but it's a male soul, or it's a male and a female soul, or whatever. There's different, there's different concepts in it. If they do certain sins and they come back in the opposite gender, they're... they're it's a whole discussion itself. I don't want to get into it. What I thought you were going to ask is, is on a different thing. Because you said, your first thing you said was marriage. What I thought you were going to ask is what happens if somebody marries and gets divorced? Who are they going to go and marry? So, okay, you don't care about that. So, let's move on. So, <laughs> so again, I'm joking. Okay, so. marry, like, the same person that you were married to in this life. Right, right, right. So, some people are like, are you serious? Oh, so let's say, what do you say, a widow? A widow. Right, so a widow and a divorce. Well, so let's go, let's go, okay, fine. So this is the part that I didn't want to speak about, but okay, let's speak about it. So um, a div- let's say somebody who's divorced and then gets remarried. So according to one opinion, it says that she'll come back, she'll wet her second husband. That's according to the divorce. What about a widow? A widow, there's, there's a mahwaka. The widow says that sometimes she refers to her first husband. And others say no, that this is equally, you know, equivalent to a divorce, and she stays with the second husband. There's a lot of different halakhic ramifications. Can she go back? Whatever. After whatever. There's a different. There's a different, you know, concept, on, you know, on it. So with divorce, it's the second husband. With the widow, it's the. Um, it depends. Either some say it's the first husband, or some say it's the second husband. But like we all say, ultimately speaking, we'll see when we get there. Right? There's a lot of things that we don't know. There's a lot of things that it's beyond our capability to understand. So the simple answer for these things is uh, we will see when we will get there. Okay, so now let us go. This is the part that I wanted to focus on. In fact, this is very, very important. This is probably the most important part. I want to do a recap, but a different recap the way that I did, the way that I did it before. A different type of recap of the entire 13 principles of faith and how each one relates to another. So first of all, we have to understand that, again, we have to understand the importance of these 13 principles of faith. That if somebody does not believe in these 13 principles of faith, they're separated from the Jewish people. And they have no share in the world to come. Majority of them, except for, let's say, reward and punish, whatever. There's certain things that you don't. But a majority of these, if you don't believe in it, you have no share in the world to come. Now, what happens if somebody never learned this? Ah, they just never knew it. How are they supposed to know? So they never believed it. Do they still, are they still separated from the Jewish people? And the answer is yes. If you're ignorant on these basic principles, you miss the boat. No matter what your excuses are, this is fundamental. This is why when a person goes and converts to Judaism, they have to know this. Problem is that we don't know the Jewish people that were born and raised Jewish don't know these things. But the, the converts, at least they, they, you know, they, it's a requirement to do it. Now, what happens if somebody believes in the 13 principles of faith, but they do the worst sins? They do the worst of the worst sins. They still are connected to the Jewish people. They're connected to God. They have a share in the world to come. Uh, they'll get punished, obviously, for the sins that they did. Hopefully, they'll do tshuva. But they have a share in the world to come. But these 13, if you mess up in these 13, then it's, you know, like, you're done with. There's, like, nothing to talk about. The... When the Rambam says that, you know, when, it, when the Rambam begins, you know, like, when we... Say the Anima Amin in Tefillah uh, after Shachrit. Anima Amin be'emunah shlema. What's be'emunah shlema? So it's not. There's a difference. You know, we say you have to believe in it, but there's a difference of like believing it or believing it without any doubt whatsoever. Like emunah shlema. What is emunah shlema? Emunah shlema means you believe without a doubt in your mind. Right? The fact that you believe. If somebody would go over to you and say, um, it, "Does Mexico exist?" And assuming you never went to Mexico, do you know for a fact that Mexico exists? You say, "Yeah." Like, I, will you bet on it? 
your right kidney? Most people probably would. I mean, assuming, let's say, you get something good in return, right? But most people say, like, yeah, I know Mexico is good, but you've never been there. You've never seen it. How do you know? Like, you just know, whatever. It just exists. The same way that you know that it exists, that's how you have to know that the 13 principles of faith. So you're believing it, but you're knowing it with 100% accuracy that this is what it is. Not, yeah, possibly, let's see, okay, we'll believe it. No, no, no. You know with 100% no doubts whatsoever, 100% knowledge that this is, this is uh, the, the 13 principles of faith and all this is true and, and, and correct. Now, what is the problem if somebody doesn't know these things? Like, what is the problem if somebody, you look at all the people that unfortunately follow the wrong religions. All right, what's the big deal? So they messed up, but they want to honor God. They want to do the right thing. This is something we spoke about in the first class. So we gave the, 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 the little parable, the little mashal, on, let's say you, you had a person who wanted to, bless you, he wanted to, tri- he wanted to trick people. And what did he do that he wanted? He wanted to get money from people. So what he did was, is that he hired, you know, a bunch of white horses, a bunch of soldiers, and he made them marching. And then he put a donkey, and he put a donkey in the carriage, and he put a donkey, had a big, beautiful robe and a big, beautiful crown, and he marched it through town. And everybody came, met the donkey, be like, oh, the king is here, and they gave, uh, the, you know, they gave it, uh, you know, uh, presents and gifts. And uh, then the, don- you know, left, the guy took all the money and, and ran away. The king hears about this. He comes into the town, he rounds up the entire town. He says, this entire town is going to be executed. So the people are like, are you serious? Like, why? Like, you honored a donkey instead of me. So the town goes and says, listen, but we wanted to honor you. We, you know, we didn't know. There was no back then. There was no portraits of the king everywhere. We didn't know anything. He says, this came and, you know, said it was a donkey. So this is what we honored. So the king says, that's exactly why I'm going to go and execute you. Because if you think that I'm a donkey, says that's itself you have a reason to be executed. So when you have the, the, the people of the world, and they go and they say, hey, you have to serve this guy, JC, full, you know, serve the, you know, the sun, the moon, the lamps, whatever it is that you're serving. Yes, it's a big problem. If you're going and you're serving a wrong god, or you're serving a fake god, then it's your fault. It is your fault. Do a little bit of research. There are certain things... You don't do so much research, okay, not so problem, organic, not organic, flies, no flies, pets, whatever it is, right? Who knows what's good anymore? So, um, but when you're dealing with something that is the implications, you know, the, the practical implications are so severe, do your research. You have to know these 13, th- these 13 principles of faith, you have to know. And if you don't know, regardless of whatever reason it, you have, it's irrelevant. That's how scary and how important this is. The Sefer Karim of Yosef Alba goes and he takes these 13 principles of faith and he brings it, he separates it in very simple three. Very simple three principles. What's the three principles? Number one, believe in God. Number two, believe in the Torah. Number three, reward and punishment. Simple as that. So if you left today just remembering these three things, God, Torah, reward and punishment, successful day for you. You can go home, lay down in your bed and be like, what did I accomplish today? And I accomplished these three things. It's a good, that's a, you know, it's a good accomplishment. And in fact, when you go into the 13 principles of faith, they're actually broken up into these three, three categories. The first five is, is speaking about the reality of God, the reality of the Creator. The next four is focusing on the Torah, and the final four is focusing on reward and punishment. So let's go through all of these as a recap, and then we'll open up for some questions. We'll see how each one correlates to which, to which section. So the first out of the, the first of the first of the five, which correlates to the creator of the God, is that, which is the first principle of faith, is that God is a bore umanig. God is a creator. What it means that God is a creator is not like what people create nowadays. God is a creator, yesh me'ayim. Yesh me'ayim means that God creates from nothing, is able to produce something. Human beings are not able to produce a new element. They're not able to do something new on the periodic table. A new a human being is able to take what is existing and produce something new, make an innovation, make a new creation, but they're just taking what's existing into something else. God could, could, can and did create something from nothing. 
Furthermore, God is a mani. God oversees everything that, that happens. Everything that happens, God, is, God oversees. The second principle of faith also, this is a reference in, in believing in God, is that what is God? God is one. God is who yachid. He's, he's one. In a sense that, what does it mean that God is one? That God is everywhere and everywhere. I guess, I don't know, I was going to say everywhere and nowhere, but there's no such thing as nowhere. So God is everywhere. And not only God is everywhere, is everything that you experience in your life comes from God. The good, the bad, the ugly, the pleasure, the pain, everything comes from one source and it comes from God. That is number two. Number three is still referring to, uh, to, to the understanding of God, is God does not have a goof. God, God is incorporeal. God does not have any physical body. There's no such thing as a physical body. God does not have that. Now, why is it that the Torah speaks about the God's strong arm, the Yad Chazakah, it speaks about the Elohim, the finger of God, so it speaks of God in, in a sense that God does have a body. Why does it speak of that? So the Gemara Bachot, chapter, uh, page 31b, says that it's referred to speaking in a way that the people, human beings will understand. But not that God actually has a human body or anything similar or anything remotely close to that. So the rabbi goes and asks a question like this, says, what's the, you know, like, let's say somebody goes, let's say he does, let's say he believes that God is a, is a physical being. Like, is, is he at fault for it? He didn't deny the Torah. He just misunderstood. He read the Torah literally. It said, Yad Chazakas, God has a strong arm. You know, God has a, God, God has a, you know, the finger of God, whatever it is. And he took it literally. Why is that such a big problem? Why is it that it's such a big problem that a person, this person has no share of the world, you know, and, and so on and so forth, all the, all the big punishments that come with it. The Ramah goes and brings down and says that, it doesn't matter the reason why you're a heretic. It doesn't matter if you never understood, you never learned it. If you didn't believe it, if you failed, to, to understand this, you are cut off. You have no share in the world to come. You understand the importance of these things? You understand how imperative, it, you know, this? You know, people go, and they're listening to classes, and they're going to see which class they're going to listen to. Okay, 13 principles of faith, eh, let's skip into the next one. You don't understand how important. This is the foundations of everything. This is the foundation of Judaism. If you don't have this, you don't have anything. The fourth principle of faith, which is still the fourth of the, out of five, that is of what is believing in God, is that God is Rishon Acharon. God is the first and God is the last. There's no such thing as time with God. God came before everything and will be here after everything. And the final part regarding speaking about understanding God is that you're only allowed to pray only to God and to God alone. You're not allowed to pray to anybody else. No intermediary. You don't need any rabbi. You don't need any JC. You don't need anybody in Mohammed. You don't need nothing. It's you and God. That's all you need to pray. You speak directly to God even when you go to a grave. You don't pray to the grave. You don't pray to the deceased. You don't pray to your grandparents. You pray to God in the merit of the deceased. Whatever it is. You know, the relations that you have. So... Those are the five principles of understanding of God. So what are those five principles that go on? God created the world. God is one. God doesn't have a body. God is first and last. And there's only, you can only pray to God and no one else. That is the section of understanding God. Now the Ram goes on to the next section, which is on the Torah, which is another four steps, which is number six. So number six, you go into the sixth principle of faith, is that you believe, that all the words of the prophets are true. Why is this so important? And why is this categorized in the section of the Torah? Because the only way that we have the Torah is through communication between God and human beings. That's prophecy. If you don't believe that there's such a thing as prophecy, then how do you know that there's a Torah? How the Torah stands on prophecy. So in a sense, this is the, well, the first of understanding the Torah is that God communicated the Torah to human beings. That is the sixth. The seventh principle is also in regards to the Torah, is that Moshe Rabbeinu was the father of all the prophets. Now why is this so important? Why is it so important Moshe Rabbeinu out of all the other prophets singled out? It says, God speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu mouth to mouth, which means that it's a higher level of prophecy than any other prophet ever, ever had. Why is it so important in the 13 principles of faith? And the answer is, is that when there's a prophet goes and prophesies something, they could use based on their own backgrounds, how they interpret it and things like that. 
So what people could say is like, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu got the Torah, and maybe he interpreted it in a certain way, maybe this is not really what God meant. So no, so it said that the prophet of Moshe Rabbeinu was so high, meaning that I spoke to him through his mouth, meaning that whatever Moshe Rabbeinu did, he was a non-interactive interface, the way that we explained it before. That everything that, Moshe, that God told Moshe Rabbeinu, he straight dictated like a secretary dictating from, you know, from, from the person that's, that's uh, telling him what to write, or him to write. It's, it's exactly word for word. It's not that, oh, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu did anything, you understand the importance of this, of this principle? That Moshe Rabbeinu is very important that we understand that he's the highest level of the prophets, meaning that anything that came through Moshe Rabbeinu came directly from God, and not through uh, you know Moshe's understanding, Moshe's explanation, Moshe's anything else in between, whatever it is that you could think of. That is the seventh. The eighth principle is that the same Torah that we that Moshe Rabbeinu was received, that's the same Torah that we have now. We shake the same lulav, we have the same shofar, we have the same tefillin, we have everything exactly the same that it was back then. The same thing. And in fact, uh, the Rambam goes and says that if somebody goes and says this is the Torah that we have, no, I don't agree that this Torah, one Word one letter is missing from this Torah, the Torah that we have Moshe Rabbeinu. That person, no share in the world to come. If a person does not believe that it's the same Torah that we have today, the same Torah that we got from Moshe Rabbeinu, no share in the world to come. Even if it's missing one verse or one word, not one letter. I'm sorry, one verse or one word. The this, there's actually three categories. And also, if somebody denies the oral law, you have the people that deny the oral law. That's the Tukim, right? The reform, you know, reform has a thousand other problems above that. But yeah, so yeah, reform, no share in the world to come. They deny the oral law. Well. Right, do we have to repeat that introduction? Doesn't matter how and why they don't know. It's scary, it's sad, it's unfortunate. Um, also, um, let's say, like, people go through, like, a stage where, like, if they don't, like, believe, but then, like, they learn. If they do chuva, if let's say somebody doesn't believe, but they do chuva and they believe it, then it follows the same chuva process. If you do chuva, then you go and you believe it. Okay, so let's move on. So, um, if also, if somebody goes and says that the Torah was nullified, the Torah was nullified, meaning like the Christians or the Arabs. God gave the Torah, you're right, but it was nullified, and then He gave a second blah, 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 blah. They have no share in the world to come. Right? It's a shame. Or it's not a shame. I don't know, whatever it is. All the people, you have the Jewish people, unfortunately, that went and converted to Christianity. They want to say themselves. And the grand, great grandchildren could still be Jewish. There still could be Jewish Christians that they have no share in the world to come. Ah, it's not their fault. It's, it's you know? Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. Gotta go pray for all our brothers and sisters. The ninth principle of faith is that the Torah will never ever be changed. The same Torah is always going to remain true forever and ever and ever. Those are the concept, those are the, the four the four concepts of the Torah. What is the four concepts of the Torah? Number one, that there's prophecy. Number two, the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. Number three is the fact that the, the, the Torah that we have is the same Torah that we got from Moshe Rabbeinu. And number four is sort of like a branch of that is that it will never be changed. The Torah will never be changed. It stays exactly the same. Those are the four that relate to understanding the Torah. So, so far we spoke about the five in relation to God. Then we spoke about the next four in relation to the Torah. Now let's speak about the final four, which is in the aspect of reward and punishment. So, uh, the, the principle number 10. Principle number 10 is that God knows the person's deeds, every single action, and every single thought that you do, God knows. Why is it so important? Because it's going to come into, into play in regarding reward and punishment, which is the 11th principle of faith. The 11th principle of faith is that God rewards those that do good and punishes those that do evil. Meaning that in order to have reward and punishment, you have to know what a person did. So God not only knows what you do, but also exactly what you think and everything in between that. All your emotions, everything God knows. And, be, and from that, God goes and rewards or punishes. Now let's, let's go to the final two, which is also in the category of reward and punishment, and this we have to understand. So the final two is, number, is what we spoke about last week, which was the believe in Mashiach. And then, you know, what we spoke about today, which is the resurrection of the dead. Also part in the section of reward and punishment. Now the question is why? What is connection do you have Mashiach and resurrection of the dead to reward and punishment? So in order to understand this, we'll have to go and review a little bit what we spoke about last week, and then we'll be able to understand it very clearly, Be'ezrat Hashem. 
So what is the whole idea of the concept of Judaism? Judaism is a covenant. It's a bit of love. It's a relationship that you have between you and God. It's, that's what it is. It's a relationship. Now, Mashiach, the fact that you believe that Mashiach comes, that underscores, that, 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 that uh, goes on the highest level that there is a relationship and it's a true relationship. Why is it a true relationship? Let's say you have a father, and this is what we spoke about last week. Father wanted to discipline the son. So they kicked the son out of the house. Now, you have another father that kicked the son out of the house but does not want the son ever to return again. So what is the difference between the two fathers? One father loves the son. There's a relationship. They want the son to become better. They want the son to improve. The other son has, couldn't care less. Now, which one is a relationship? The one that has the, wants the, the son to be proved, to, to, to be better. That's the one who has a relationship. If God gave the Torah, and then the Jews, like the Christians, were right, let's say, that the, that the Jews did bad, and God picked a different nation. They could pick Christianity. That means that there was never a relationship that's going on over here. It's not a relationship of father and son. It's a relationship like a, a temporary relationship. That means that, that the Torah was, it, the whole, everything falls apart. The whole Torah falls apart if it wasn't, it, it wasn't that. It was never a covenant. There was never a belief. Well, the whole concept is for the relationship. Now, what, why is this so important? Because we know we started off this class, this class speaking about what's the whole purpose of being, of being in this world. So you can take two opposites, put it together, and then you could earn your reward. Because then if you have two opposites, you have an evil inclination, you have a good inclination, you're able to put them together, you're able to overcome it, now you're going to get the reward. Oh, that's something very interesting. So let's think about this for a second. Can you ever do something and you say, God, yeah, now you owe me. I just did it. You put bad and evil, and I did. I'm mean, like God gives you everything. We spoke about it this this concept last week. You put a mezuzah, very good. God gave you a house. You dress modestly, very good. God gave you a body; they have the ability to walk. Oh, you went and you kept Shabbat. God gave you panasad that you'd be able to keep. Shabbat. God gave you everything. So what are you going to say? Like, oh, you you know you did it. It's an example that we gave last week, where you know you ask somebody to pick up you know a paper and be like, now let me pay you ten million dollars for the work that you did. Be like, what? That's not related. So how is it possible that we could have the whole purpose of the world is, this world is so we could get reward and punishment? But how can we get reward and punishment if we're not, if we can never go and be rewarded for something? It's never, it's never comparative. It's never relatable. That's all nice and dandy when you have what? When you have a, a working partnership. But what happens when you have a relationship? If you build a relationship with God that all of a sudden that's a father and son relationship, then imagine this concept, right? So, uh, you know, father is very wealthy. He constantly gives a son. Does the son feel guilty? Is there a bread of shame in it? And like, no, it's my dad, my father. Of course he's going to give me. You don't feel bad about taking something. The whole purpose of what we have this world is that we could be able to receive the reward in the world to come without feeling, the, as the Kabbalists tell us, the bread of shame. Because we'll be able to get reward and we earned it. But how can you ever earn anything? But the answer is if you build a relationship. If you build a relationship with God, then you earn everything. Because all of a sudden, God, you and God, you have a relationship. It's a father-son relationship, father-and-daughter relationship. Then any reward that you're going to get, then it's going to make a big difference. And then it's going to make, a, you know, it's, you're going to be able to go and appreciate the reward to the highest level possible. This is why we have Mashiach is so important. Because Mashiach is, the, is what proves that there is, that there is a, a relationship over here. Mashiach proves that you will never ever be removed for another nation. That is going to come at the end of days, the time, the very, very end, where there's going to be a savior and you're going to all be and there's going to be the entire Jewish nation is going to come together because I never give up on you oh you never give up it's a relationship why is it so important so we're speaking about reward and punishment we said right why is it so important in reward and punishment I'm sorry if I'm going fast right? I'm getting excited why is it so important about reward and punishment oh because the whole concept of Mashiach is proves that we're getting reward it shows the relationship you following me why are you not shaking your head more nodding like bobbleheads right? this should be amazing everybody should be like you know like yeah I understand what you're saying okay so now 
this, this leads us to the next thing. So now we have a reward that we appreciate the word, and this is what it is by Mashiach. Now what about Tchiat Mitim? What's so important about Tchiat Mitim? Why is it so essential? Because we said that what? That a body never dies. If a body never dies, then all of a sudden, this, what implication does it have on your, on, your, on your reward and punishment? That everything that you do, you're either going to get reward or punish you forever and ever and ever. So it's, gonna, it's, it's something that stays forever. So it's, of course it's related. Tchiat Mitim is related to reward and punishment. Of course Mashiach is related to reward and punishment. And so you see over here the beautiful concept of what the, you know, the, the, the 13 principles of faith, the foundation of Judaism, and how it's put together in a sense that you understand God, and you understand the Torah, and then you understand the purpose of what you're here for. And you're here for what? The purpose is for reward and punishment. And Bezat Hashem, may we all be able to utilize this, this, this knowledge, and be able to bring ourselves to a highest level that not only we will come back in the original Tchiat HaMetim, but we should also be there in the time of Mashiach, Meher Amenu. Amen. Let's go open up for questions. Okay. You had a question? No. You had a question? You had a question, yeah. So, to right. So, okay. So that's an excellent question. The question is as follows: The question is that Mexico, the example that we gave of Mexico, is you know it's a physical place, so you can go and you can believe it, whatever it is. But resurrection, Mashiach, it's something in the future. It didn't happen yet. How can you believe in the same sense that you could believe in, in Mexico? And the answer is is that maybe Mexico wasn't a good example. But let's say, for example, radio waves. Things that you can't see, emotions, what? Wi-Fi, right? People can't live without. So it's a concept that we don't understand, which is what I want to focus on. Underline and bold, we don't understand. But there's many things, so there's many things that you believe in that you don't understand also, right? So for example, so you don't get golf? Oh, God, oh. Right, so there's certain things, right? So you don't have to understand the details that you could be able to every single concept. You just have to know, you understand the general concept that because the Torah says it and you believe in the Torah, that this is going to be true. Now, oh, it's not, if you have such, if somebody that you trust, that to the extent that, you know how much you trust this person? That you will be willing to jump out of a plane without a parachute and that person has a parachute and they will be able to catch you and you will be with full comp. That's a, that's a level of trust, right? No one exists, right? <laughs> So no, okay. There's not the shame about your husbands. Um, uh, even that, like I don't think I love anybody that much. All right. So, uh, but imagine like a level like of of a trust that you have. Now, when somebody you trust that much says, "This is what I want you to do," trust me. This is right. So God gave us a Torah. We know that, and God wrote in the Torah, "There's going to be Mashiach and there's going to be Tchiat Metim." So there's a simple, very simple understanding. Trust me. Yeah, this is what the, the you know, this is what the, the Gemara brings down. They were asking, the heretics were asking, where's the proof? And then they gave the proof from Devarim, Deuteronomy, that says this is the proof that we have resurrection from the dead in the Torah. The Gemara in Sanhedrin goes and speaks about it. Where do we know the proof for, the, for all these things in the Torah? Good? Enough? Yeah. Oh, man. The things that I, all I wanted to skip, you always bring back. Um, there are righteous Gentiles. There are righteous Gentiles, yeah. There is, there is a concept that there is a triat metim in the entire 
an entire creation. What that means? Who says this? I think the Lashem says this. I think it's the grandfather or the father of. What, what, I think it was the Lashem that says it. There's going to be a, he, he goes and explains a very big Kabbalist um, goes and 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 explains that there is going to be a, a a resurrection of the entire creation. What does that mean? You know, the animals, the dogs, most likely not. But the, you know what? I don't know. And he doesn't go into, to my understanding, go and explain it. But there's going to be an entire resurrection. Who is going to get resurrected and who's not? That's going to be up to God. That's going to be up to God. If there's people that are not really, uh, you know, I'm not God, I cannot judge. If you could plug in the formulas that I gave you over here, you should have a basic answer. More than that, I don't know. That's all in God's hand. We'll only know when Mashiach comes. And Yes? About the earning reward, I know it's like you were saying it's a father-son relationship, but also it's, it's like, let's say a father makes like a rock climbing wall and he gives a child the ability to either climb it, to choose to climb it, or to choose not to climb it. And it's equally difficult. Of course the child should feel that should feel good that they made the right choice to climb it because they had the opportunity not to and it was a very big struggle for them. So it's not like... So let's say they climbed that wall, right? So that, that's good and they were rewarded. So what would be like, okay, you climbed a little rock climbing wall, we should give you $100, right? extremely difficult. Like the, the father gave the child the choice. So you're grateful that he gave you right. the choice, but at the same time you have to you could feel good. That but there's always a limit. It's true. You're right. So he did the choice, but there's always a limit. There's always a price that's that's collab- that's comparative to what the work that was done. Very difficult for you. You accomplished so much. You deserve a million dollars, right? That's what your this child climbed this wall. It was very hard. Didn't want to get a free choice, and he did a million dollars. So that's very nice. But is that worth a trillion dollars? That's a big difference uh, between a million and a trillion. They they invested the effort for a million dollars. Yeah, that's. I'm, I, originally, I originally wanted to say a hundred dollars. I already jumped it to a million dollars, right? We added a few zeros just because you said it was so difficult, right? Ten million dollars. Well, there's always numbers. We could keep on going up, and then just add a few other zeros to it. Which means is what I'm trying to say is that even if you do something, so there's all right. It was so difficult. You deserve it. You deserve a reward. You deserve a certain amount of reward. But the reward that you get in Olam Abba, the reward that you get in the world to come, is so significant that you can, it's never comparable. It's never going to be like, well, I earned it. It's, it's because of God's kindness. No one's saying He's not doing you a favor. So we're also giving you the opportunity. So the whole thing, the whole concept of kindness, yeah. the whole concept of, of getting something is when you build a relationship. The, the whole concept again is not about it's not about the partnership. I do this, you pay me this. The the whole concept is because it's never going to be Carla, you know, it, it's never going to be related. But if you are able to go and build a relationship through the difficulties, that's where the relationship comes in. The relationship comes in through the fumtaraga. Right. So then you're building a relationship. Once you build a relationship, then God is going to be like, okay, we have a relationship, so I'll give you, yeah, for the thing that you just did that's worth a million dollars, but you're my son. I'll give you ten gazillion dollars, right? Google number, right? Ten Google, I think that's a number, right? Whatever it is, right? I'll give you an infinite amount, because we understand that the, the concept of reward in the world to come is that it constantly gets better and better. It's not like, okay, now it's like, you know, you get a, a gazillion dollars and then, you know, you add a few zeros every single second. Like, you know, we don't under, we can't comprehend that. But Hashem doesn't want us to feel bad that we're getting something we didn't earn, so right. he makes us earn it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. even if we earn it, we will never get to the level that we can say, yeah, we earned it. You understand that there is a level where you'll be like, I'll give you an example like this. There is a billionaire by the name of, his name is, was it Mark Cuban, I think his name? Right, he's a billionaire, right? So he was, I remember reading an article, uh, you know, way, way, way back, where he was asked if he could do it again. He could become a billionaire again. And he said, he said no. 
He said, I, I, I don't know, this is, he calls it luck, I call it God, whatever he called it every once. Uh, he said, I got it through luck, but a millionaire would be able to get, become a millionaire again. So even he knows that there's a certain part that it's beyond your control. Like, yeah, you could become wealthy, but to become extremely wealthy, no, that's already out of the control. So the same thing is like, yeah, you can get a reward for it. But the real reward, like the serious reward for it, like, no, that's already out of, out of control. That's like, that's like beyond your capabilities. But once you build that relationship, once you get that closeness, ah, then it goes on and grows on, and then, it, then it's no longer bread of shame. You understand the difference? You might not like it anymore, but whatever. No, I, I agree with you. Okay, yeah. The people in now, will it be a step down? No, it's to be a step up. World to come, Mulamba is the highest level. Yeah, yeah. Um, you talked about how babies will come back even if they weren't born. It's my understanding that the soul comes to a baby after 40 days. So there is a concept of, of you know, the, the but, but first of all, there's, there's, a, there's a few concepts over here. There's a concept that 40 days before the baby is even born, I was going to say, this one is going to marry this one. There's also, uh, you know, there's also a concept that you're allowed to pray for if either a boy or a girl up to 40 days as well. So there are, um, the way that we understand this, um, the way that I can explain it is there, there are different, there are different parts of the soul. There's many very different parts of it. In fact, one of the things that I wanted to speak about that I decided I'm not going to speak about the whole thing, clothing, it's very Kabbalistic, speaks about the different parts of the soul. There's many, many, there's, there's different parts, there's like five general different parts of the soul, but then there's subcat, whatever, there's different parts of the soul. So there are, what we could say is that there's different parts and different times when the soul comes in and then you're able to pray up to a certain point in time. But the Gemara brings down, it says at the second, that what's the soul, if it's your boy or girl, then what's the soul that's getting, you know, has a share in the world to come? That, you know, the Gemara says that the second the, the, the child is conceived, it has a share in the world to come already, even if it miscarries it. So, I'm, what I'm curious to, to think about is, is maybe there's some, there's some Falshim, and I have to look it up. They say that when it's referring to that a baby that lasted after 40 days. But the simple understanding of it is not like that. Conceived is once, once it's upon conception. But I have to look into it, but it's an interesting thing. But one answer that we could give is that there's many different parts of the soul. So maybe a part of the soul comes down now, and, the soul, and so on and so forth. In fact, we know when dealing with parts of the soul, the more that you work on yourself, the more that you have access to that soul. So the, the righteous people have more access to different parts of the soul than, than regular do. That's why they are able to go into the next world, because part of the soul, there's two parts of the soul that is actually not in your body. It's in the outside. So if you get to such a high level, you have, you have connection to the spiritual world, and they're able to see things that regular people cannot see. Different, different topic and thing. Well, yeah. That's a good question. I remember learning, uh, is it the prime of your life? I don't want to answer, but I remember reading this somewhere. The question was, what age do you come back, guys? I want to say that, but I don't, I don't remember for sure. I remember learning this, and I can't remember what it was. I don't know. It's a question. So what? So then you're going to have your children come at the same age as you? It's interesting, right? One thing, the simple answer I get, I'll give you is we'll see when it comes. But uh, um, I'm, that's a knock, knockoff answer. That's a, yeah. Can a Jewish soul come back as a guy's soul? It can. A Jewish soul can come back as a non-Jew if it does certain sins. And guys, um, is Jewish Usually, not necessarily. They usually go and convert. And also, if you want to bury it correctly, can you come back? If, you, if what, like, it, like cremated? It's a problem. It's a problem depending on the reason. So let's say in the Holocaust, it's not a problem. It was out of your control. But otherwise, it, it, is, uh, it, it, is, it is problematic to the extent of what it is. But yeah, it is possible. I know somebody was questioning about regarding a Jew could come back as a non-Jewish soul. It is, uh, Shagul Gulim does bring it down. That result does bring it down that there are certain sins that a person does that it comes back as a non-Jew. And 
and not the highest level of a non-Jew, like a like a. Look into I want to look into my reincarnation classes. I, I my last one I speak about it. I also heard they could come back as an animal, like yeah. even a carrot or something. Yeah, it could come down. What we did was in one of the in one of our classes on reincarnation. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was the third class of my reincarnation. I go through what sins come back at what at what comes at what comes in. I think I spoke of most of them. I didn't speak about everyone, but I spoke about most of them. No, yeah. Olam Haba is after Gan Eden. There's Gan Eden right now for the people that pass away, and then there's going to be Mashiach, Tirat Metim, and then Olam Haba is going to be after that. So Olam Haba is only after Mashiach comes? Yeah. To say after Mashiach comes, people die in the Right, there's going to be a level of the resurrection where everybody dies instantly, which we, we, how we explain it, and then they come back to life again. Yeah, if they're alive during that time. And they're not missing out, it's like they're going to the better thing, yeah. Yeah, they do come back. Was, yeah, like like the Holocaust is a perfect example in the gas chamber. Well, not uh, not the gas chambers. Uh, the what? The ovens. What is it called? The crematoriums. Yeah, yeah. So they do. They those do come back. Yeah. Or in like oceans As well. Yeah. Where and how? Uh, we'll see. Uh, come out swim from the ocean. I don't know. Yeah. You you answered already, but I'm still wondering. Like, Same question. Oh. No, no, okay. <laughs> And they were raised like a religious Christian, and they believe in whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, so, um, and they like have a very strong belief in him. But if they would know that they could just go directly to God, they would go to God. Just no one ever taught it to them. You're saying a Tinnitus situation of uh, of a Christian. They do. Some of them do. Some Christians do believe in resurrection. Right. So. But yeah, but do they believe in the final resurrection? But some of them do. But the, the question is like this, is that what I'm saying, these 13 principles of faith, uh, it, these are for Jews. Non-Jews, does, do they, this is a good question, do non-Jews have to believe in the 13 principles of faith in order to go and have a share in the world to come? Or have a, or have a, a place in, in heaven? Because right? we know there's righteous Gentiles and they're able to go to heaven. What about the, the righteous, like, do they have to follow these 13 things? And I haven't seen anything either yes or no, so I can't answer that. They have to follow the seven of the Nenoch, but is this, is, this, is this required? I have to look into it. I was lucky enough to learn about God. Obviously not. Obviously not. Right. Obviously not. Yeah. It's based off the Torah. The Rambam just like compiled it and put it together. This is the, you know, based off the Torah, based off the, also in the Gemara Sanhedrin, the Talmud brings it down, and so the Rambam just put it into like, the Rambam, what the Rambam did was something so amazing, is that he took, he had such a, Amazing knowledge with the Torah, Torah is that he he codified things, so he put them in sections, and that's what the, the halachot that he did. He says, you look at the Mishnah Torah, the other halachot. He goes and he takes things from all different way parts of the Torah and he combines it. Do you want to learn about this thing? Learn about it over here. You want to learn? instead of because everything is spread out in a bunch of different places. So he put everything. So the same same concept he did also with this with the thirteen principles, but it's all based on the Torah. Yeah, let's go in there and then I'll get you. Yeah. You don't really so. Um, if you can, we should probably do another class in reincarnation. I see it's very uh, people love it. Um, so if if you come back as in uh, like a vegetable or 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 a fruit or something like that, you ask, is it worth it? So um, you generally don't have a say in it, in in it, and be like, nah, send the other guy. Yeah, really, pass. You know, 
you, there's a reason why that has to come back. Come back as a fish, come back as a certain animal. So, it's, the reason that it comes back is there needs to be a tikkun. There needs to be a rectification. How do you rectify it? The very simple concept of rectification is when you take a fruit and you make a blessing over it, if there was a soul inside that fruit, that soul, that soul gets released. If it doesn't, then you're going to get possessed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if, it, if you don't make a blessing on it, then you harm that soul. And it has to start again. Go into... There's so many souls. No, I'm not saying it. Don't go to your fruits and vegetables and start talking to them. Be like, so what were you? Evil. Were you good or bad? Like, you know, don't talk to your fruits. Just make a blessing on it. Concentrate. The better the the the, the more better the blessing, the stronger the concentration. The more kavanah that you have, the more they understand that everything is from God. The more they thank God on it, the better that you rectify that. That if there was a soul in it, that you rectify it. Yes. Good. Okay. Yes. Yeah, all healing in all aspects. And also, Very important question. How do, like, like guys also have a soul, but like, yeah. is the neshama like as much, like, how does it work with them? The neshama. What's yeah. the, you're asking what's the yeah. levels? Like, but I'm saying we have a neshama, we know, like, like, I've heard that it's not exactly the same, the or it's different, or, like, how does it work? Because then, like, suddenly, if someone converts, like, they get an extra piece. Yes, like, they get it. Like, they get they come out of the mikvah, that's Exactly. Yeah, they, like, get it, they get another part. So it's, right. And then, if we have a certain advantage, because, like, we have this whole show, so we have a certain connection, sometimes, like, how could you expect as a non-Jew to have that connection as much if they don't have that full... That's why. You're right. So your question, I like the two-step process. I like the whole process. So you're right. So let's say the non-Jew has a, uh, a lower connection to God for reasons that could be, you know, spiritual. And the answer is, yeah. That's why it, non-Jew only has to do seven Noachai laws. It doesn't have to do everything. So it's yeah, simple... Nice that. Yeah. That seven is the inner essence of something. That Shabbos is like an inner right. essence. So when a non-Jew... Does the seven mitzvot? They're fulfilling their inner essence, they are, like yeah. of the non-Jew. Right. They're completing yeah. their mission in life. Their, the non-Jew does seven Noachide laws to complete their mission in their life. Yeah. And so that could then bring them closer to like tapping into their neshama. To their yeah. There are some. Not, there are some. Listen, I know. I know quite a few non-Jews that let's say started with the seven Noachide laws, and it's not enough for them. And they want to go and they want to keep on doing it. And I know also non-Jews that seven Noachide and they're doing amazing. They're doing great, and they're, they're good just the way they are. And it's perfect. It's fine. They don't have to convert. They don't have to do anything. They can say just the way that they are. So it depends. Some people want more, some people strive for less. It depends on the person. Okay, any other questions? Yes. Oh, good question. And what age do they come back? So that goes back to this, you know, to this question. Uh, depending on what... Good question. We'll find out. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What if the baby was aborted? Oh... There was, a, there was a, a person that survived an abortion. <laughs> what? Imagine like Many living with that. Yeah. Yeah. You have to honor your parents, huh? Um, <laughs> um, 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 good question. I don't want to answer because I don't know. I have to look at. I don't even know where. Yeah, I would say also it's not in charge of the baby. Yeah, it should, I w- automatically I would say there should be any difference because it's not a fault of the baby, and the, you know, it, it, once it's conceived, it has a, it has a share. But we know that everything is connected to everything, and there's a reason why the soul was sent down, and God knew that's going to get aborted. There's a connection to everything. But again, I don't know, so I can't uh, I can't answer. But great question, great question. Any other great questions that I can't answer? Okay, no. All right, Fazakabo.
You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.